Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two, Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. Thank you for joining Conversations with Big Rich. Today we have Steve Sasaki. Am I pronouncing that right, Steve? Yep, yep. Okay, with Power Tanks. Steve has been an integral part of rock crawling history with his support of many of the teams and drivers and organizations, including my early days at CalRocks. We want to talk to Steve about the beginning, how he got into off-road, where he came from, and then his product, Power Tank. So, Steve, thank you for coming on board, and uh, let's hear your story. Well, thanks for coming out here. Oh, let's see. You know, I I was, you know, I'm mentioning before that I feel like I'm kind of a late bloomer into rock crawling, even though it started in the 90s, um, just because uh, a lot of the other guys are talking about how they were jeeping when they were, you know, really young, you know, preteen and teens and high school. And, and I didn't, I had... Some influence from 4x4 because my dad had a 4x4 um, – he had a four-wheel drive Ford truck with a camper on it. And, you know, I look back and I think, I think you know what? That was like the first Overlander because he built these cabinets in it for food and and we put the whole family in it and we camped. That's what we did. We went out camping. And I really liked that whole idea of this rig, this big truck. I mean, to me, it was huge back then. And I, and it had like 31 inch recap off-road tires, but that was my, I guess that was my influence, my off-road influence. But as I went along in high school, it was hot rods and not four by four at all. And, uh, that's, that's what I did. I, I, I put motors into like my Camaro and changed, you know, three speeds to four speeds. And I didn't, still know a whole lot about gearing and things like that. And, but that was, that's where it came from. I started and, and I actually kept uh, this Camaro that I had in high school all through, well, not all through, but mostly through my college years. And then, and then it went into uh, the, uh, the uh, Volkswagen rabbit and things like that. But I remember in high school where I was so into the, um, my V8 on my Camaro and getting it to run right or to to get more horsepower, I um, I try all these different tra- uh, carburetors, and I had this Holley carburetor, and I would 
um, <clears throat> I would mess with different um, power valves and um, uh, you know all these different parts, trying to get it to run just right. And sometimes it would go backwards. I'd mess it up, and uh, and I would be working on it till like midnight. And the next day, I'd have to go to school, and I I would just be daydreaming all all day in class about what I was going to do when I got home and started working on that carburetor again. Uh, and I, and I got pretty good at changing clutches. I remember I would, I could change a clutch, I think in a half hour on that, but that was, uh, you know, so I didn't get into four by four until way later. I went on a trip, um, uh, through the early slick rock. Um, and so the guys that are local around here all know what the Slick Rock Trail was like and is like now, and it's different. It was a lot easier, but uh, uh, my brother had a forerunner, a first-gen forerunner. My buddy had a, uh, a Nissan pickup, and uh, my other brother had a Toyota pickup. And we went through this trail, and I had never done anything like this before. And I remember I get into the, the stair step, you know, the famous stair step. I thought it was the end of the trail. I thought we were going to turn around. And uh, my and I, and I, I wanted to go back to camp and screw around. And, and my um, brother got out of his rig and he started walking up the rocks. And he was just looking. He was look, scouting for – I didn't know what he was doing, but he was scouting his line. And then we all, one by one, drove, they all drove up this – this this area that I thought was the end of the trail, you couldn't drive cars up, and I that that I think is when I got hooked. I thought this is crazy that a car went up that, and uh, so then I started shopping for a four by four after that. So where what area did you grow up in? Did you grow up in this area here? Where yeah, right in the valley. I uh, I grew up in Lodi, which is where our shop is, and um, and and uh, it was on a farm, little farm. And, uh, and, and back then, you know, it was pretty neat because we, we drove our cars into, uh, the driveway or, or, or the garage or whatever. And the keys were left in the car and there, we didn't know that people locked their front doors in their house. We, you know, there was no lock or key for the front door back then. Uh, that's how it was. So this area, um, Stockton, Lodi, Modesto, for those um, that are familiar with the movie American Graffiti, the shots that were taken of the famous drag race um, between John Milner and, oh, I forgot the character that Harrison Ford played, but where they went down the farm road uh-huh. and then he wrecked was just out here. And, was it? Yeah, it was outside of, uh, between Stockton and Modesto somewhere. So when I grew up in the in the 70s, and I graduated high school in 76. We used to come over here from the Bay Area and we and try to race people from the valley. Because mm-hmm. there was always fast cars in the valley. Yeah. You know, and, and you guys out here are having these farm roads and these back highways with no population like it is now. Yeah. You guys could really get on it. Where growing up in the Bay Area, you know, with all the stoplights and all the people and the traffic. Yeah, you still see uh, big burnout marks on some of the back roads back here because they're they're desolate and they're straight and they're great places to race somebody. Yeah, and these and the farm kids that grow up out here, you know, that's I, I would hope it's still that way, but they, you know, they have 
whether it's tractors or you know anything mechanized or or with a motor, they yep. want they get a chance to work on as as a youth, and of course that gets them into the hot rods or yeah or, or diesels now diesels yeah I think uh, yeah I see a lot of the kids with diesels now and I go how do they afford these diesels but uh, yeah they'll hop these diesels up yep that's uh I love the I love the valley for that for that kind of uh, of, of reason is the 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 natural atmosphere out here and people hot rodding and, and mm-hmm. building stuff on their own in their garage and taking it out. You know, and it's kind of it's kind of the same thing that you know all the wheelers eventually turn into. Yeah. Whether you buy a brand new JK or a JL or a Gladiator or a TJ, whenever you know Jeep makes its change, we get a new influx of people coming into the sport, and nobody ever leaves them. I mean, very few ever leave them stock. That's true. You know? I think the one of the reasons that I liked uh, the four x four thing was you got to build something. If you, I mean, if you liked. Playing with, you know, metal and uh, uh, big tires and, and gears, you you kind of had to gravitate towards this sport. And that's what I liked. I, I kind of taught myself how to weld and uh, I borrowed a welder first and uh, played with it. And then I bought my own welder. And a lot of the stuff on my first rig is stuff that I welded with a 110 MIG welder. And it's still on. And, uh, you know, they, it, you, you wouldn't want to – they're crappy-looking welds, but at least they held. And But that was part of the whole sport was the, the fab, I guess. To me, it's the fabrication. It's, it's, the, it's the opportunity to, to figure out. Uh, how you're going to set up your rig and how you're going to, where you're going to put your lights and how you're going to set your tools up and um, how you're going to balance everything out when you wheel. And, and you, you know, so you just learn a little bit more every time you wheel, you know, about, oh, I've got a weak spot here or I want to move my, like for me, it was, um, I had a lot of weight in the back and I wanted to move my weight towards the front more so I can climb better. Um, you know, just because I, I learned from watching other guys build their rigs and how they climbed with different rigs. Um, so that, I mean, in any uh, hobby, it's, it's all, I think a lot about learning. And as long as you're learning new stuff, it's, it's exciting. And And back 20 years ago, we, everybody was still experimenting. Yeah, that's true. And uh, all the innovation, I think most of the innovation for trail wheeling and for, you know, buggy builds and that kind of stuff. Most of that stuff happened up until about 2006, at least yep. with rock crawling. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's not been a whole lot of innovation. I mean, guys like Jesse Haynes are doing portals and doing some of the crazy stuff, smaller motors, turbos, right, you know, right. really going after the gearing. And then you have the Ultra 4 cars, which have created, you know, they, they kind of took the rock crawling and the desert racing and molded it together, but had to make everything last so through so much abuse right. that we've gotten innovation. But, you know, the true innovation for trail wheeling, what we, what we were doing to our rigs back then, Jeep just, you got it so you could buy it now. Yeah. Right. You know? Oh yeah. You look at uh, the new features on Jeeps and it's a lot about, well, what did the aftermarket do? Okay. Let's, let's take that great idea and we'll incorporate it into, the, the stock vehicle or the Rubicon or whatever. And, um, and I kind of look at the Ultra 4 as, as one of the steps that was after, you know, the, the, so 
the previous step to that was when, um, you know, when ARCA was going around and We Rock like you were doing, We Rock and Kyle Rock, all that stuff, the, the true rock crawling competitions. And then you see uh, Bondurant coming out with um, Tiny. Uh, you know, that kind of blew my mind. And I think it blew a lot of people's minds where, wow, that that's a whole different way of thinking. Um, and it is like the Ultra 4 stuff where you see guys coming out with this stuff and just crazy ideas in Ultra 4 and going, wow, what a cool idea. Uh, really kind of pushing um, the creativity. I agree. So when uh, you, you went to college after high school here in Lodi, yeah. I'm assuming, where did you go to college? I went to San Jose State. San Jose State. What was your what was your field uh, of study? Uh, it was industrial design. Um, I wanted to design cars. Lot, that makes a lot of sense now that I I know all your product. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I was a product designer. I I don't know how I got wind of this um, this major, but it was um, it had to do with cars, and I uh, that's what I liked. And I didn't really know anything about going to college because um, no one said, "Hey, you're." you're going to college. I just kind of decided on my own that I was going to go and I didn't know where. And I kind of decided uh, on this industrial design and San Jose state was one of the few schools that offered it as a major. Uh, so I went out there and, um, and really liked that product design part of, of, um, of school. Um, again, it was kind of like, you know, you're creating things, you're building things, you're, um, using your hands, you're, uh, making things better and solving problems, essentially solving problems. So then I went into the bike industry after that. I actually uh, got out of school and I went, I was really into the model making part of it. Model making is when um, you design a product and back in the day, um, in, in order to, to sell your, your product idea to somebody, you actually made a lifelike um, model of it, uh, as close to re, uh, reality as possible. So you can, you can essentially tell, show somebody how it worked. And even though it might be full of air, it could just be a, a, a you know, aesthetic model. Um, I was really into that part of it. So I, after school, went straight into a machine shop. I was doing product models in this machine shop and I really liked it. Um, but it didn't pay very well. I didn't get a chance to do any create creative stuff. Um, so I got a, uh, chance to work with a, um, a bicycle company and, uh, was in the bike industry for 12 years, but always wanted to do my own product that, uh, maybe during the last half of it, I always wanted to do my own product, but I couldn't do anything cycling related because all those ideas were owned by the companies I worked for. That was, uh, you know, Jiro and specialized and that was Excellent training for me for, you know, I got to learn about marketing and product development to a higher level than, than you get in school, purchasing, things like that. The, all the skills that I actually kind of needed when I, to, to start a business. So I didn't know what product I was going to do. I played with all these different ideas, but in the way it normally should happen, I guess, is naturally where after I you know, I went on this wheeling trip with my my friends and my brothers. It was like, this is a, you know, I didn't think, oh, this is the industry that I'm going to design product for. It was like, this is the hobby that I liked. 
and uh, I really need to get into this. It's super fun, and and uh, it's just kind of like what I like. It's outdoors. It's cars, and and then the product came out of that, which I think is the way it should be. And the reason that it came about was back, you know, 1997 um, or actually 1996 uh, when I was wheeling the uh, – there was no way to air up a tire except for the first quick air compressor or a homemade system that you made with a York compressor. And because I was wheeling on a Toyota, I had no room for a York I didn't have the money to buy a $260 quick air. So I I knew that I needed to air my tires up because I had chewed up a, a new set of mud terrains. And um, I, um, I saw this idea from uh, my other brother that wasn't on this trip. I have three brothers. And he's a, he's a refrigeration mechanic. So um, he had the CO2 bottle he carried everywhere. And it was to blow out condensers and to um, – essentially for that. And I wondered if that energy could be used for tires. And so I tried it and it worked pretty good. Um, I, I did a lot of research in regulators and tried a lot of different regulators, learned what worked and what didn't work. And I settled on one. And this is, again, this is not for a product to sell. This is just making my own air system, something that I could afford. So I made one and it worked pretty good. And I used it for for a while, I thought, finally, I thought, after probably a year, I thought, this might be a product I can sell. And so I decided um, in order to do this, it was a pretty simple business plan, nothing written. It was, let's see, how much money can I afford to invest in myself? And uh, I said, 10 grand. I'll, I'll invest 10 grand. I go, if I can, if I lose 10 grand, I'm not, that's not the end of the world. And so uh, that had to, you know, it had, it had to buy my business license and all that stuff. It had to uh, start my inventory and packaging uh, materials. And it had to start an ad. And my first ad, little sixth page, black and white ad in the back of four wheel and off road. And that's how I started. And 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 back then, um, they had these answer machines, the pagers and answer machines. Drug dealers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, thank thank God for good drug dealers. And so there was a Panasonic answer machine that had this fe- unique feature in that if someone called and left a message, it would automatically call whatever other number you put into it. And let you know or call you – the idea, I guess, was to call you at work or whatever and let you know that someone left a message on your machine. So you knew right away. And so I had it calling my pager number. So the pager would beep on my little – you know, my belt and I would duck away while I was at work and I would call my answer machine and get the message. And if I felt I could get away with it, I'd call the – you know, the uh, – potential customer and I'd talk to them and ask them what they needed. And I guess I was taking orders back then. I, I can't remember. It's, you know, so long ago, but so I started doing that and, and the pager started going off more and more and my boss noticed it. 
And then he asked me about what was going on. And Are I, you a drug dealer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah. So I had I had to fest up and I told him I, I have this little business on the side and I um, and, and I have this machine that beeps me on my pager. He was okay with it, I guess, you know, for the most part. He said, just, you know, make sure that you're doing your work and don't let it get in your way. And and uh, so I, I kept doing it, um, not for a long time, for a little while. But eventually, uh, let's see, I think it was – it took two years. I did it for two years that way. And uh, it got so busy that I couldn't do the day jo- job and the, the night business. So, yeah, I was coming home after work and I was building product till late that night because I needed to build my inventory. And back then it was like maybe two uh, two part numbers. It was either a 10-pounder or a 5-pounder. And you had no options. There were no options. <laughs> no, no, no cute colors. No cute colors. It, in fact, there were no colors. It was silver. It was a, a raw aluminum bottle. You know, on the weekends I'd go and I'd, and I'd buy components and I – and uh, during the day, actually, I would sneak uh, regulator parts. I would have to take the regulators that I was buying, and I would have to take them apart. And I would have to take some of the parts to the shop at work and use their lathe and cut parts down. So, you know, you sometimes you do what you have to do to, <laughs> to run a business. And that's what I had to do. And um, that's what I did. The, the first event I did was uh, the put-up-or-shut-up at Lake Amador in November of 2001. And I had a full-time job at that, to- at that point up until that event. And as soon as that was- event was over and I had taken some time off to put that event on, I walked back in and I maybe spent like two weeks, three weeks before Christmas, and I walked in and dropped my keys on the counter. In fact, they were giving me my one-year pin. Uh-huh. For the company I uh-huh. worked at the time, and I said, "Here you go. Here's my keys." And they were like, "You can't quit. You make too much money." Or, well, at first they said, "You can't quit." And I said, "Did I sign something I didn't know about?" <laughs> you know, and they were like, "No, no, no. You just make too much money." And I said, "It's not about how much money I make. It's how I get to live my life." So I handed my keys and I walked out. <laughs> you know, and that's and uh, if it, if you were like me, that, that was pretty damn scary. Uh, same with me. I mean, I had a, a paycheck that I was getting every week and I was going to give that up. And I had, um, my first son, he was, a he was four and a half years old and I had a second son who was, uh, less than a year old and, uh, and I was quitting my day job. Uh, it, it, it's just what you do though. When you feel like you, it, it feels right. And, and it kind of felt right at the time. And, so yeah, to to continue the story, I I remember I was in the office or one of the conference rooms with my boss, and he was giving me a review, and it was a so-so review. And uh, it's not that I wasn't working hard. I felt um, I just felt like I might not have been a perfect fit for the company, and a um, and so I. I I kind of laid it on him kind of softly. I said, well, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of leaving. I'm, um, I'm going to pursue this business. I, I told him, though, I promised him that I would finish my projects. I had a couple of projects, big projects I was working on. I said, I'll stay and I'll finish these projects. And then I'm moving on. So I, I stayed for two more months and I finished my projects for him. But the big mistake, and this is probably my biggest first 
business lesson was I shut off my my ad because I said, well, I can't do both, right? It was it was too much to do both. So I'll shut the ad off now and that'll curb those uh, those calls. And then as soon – and I'll make sure that as soon as I, I leave the company, the ads will happen. It will start up again. So what happens is there's a lag time. So the the, the calls did stop or, or slow down. And then when I walked out of the office for the last time uh, and then the ad turned back on, no one called still because there's a lag time. And now I'm sitting there um, – you know, we're going to buy a house. We have two little kids and uh, we're moving back to a different town and we're, uh, and I have no job and I don't, and my business is dead. Essentially it was dead. So that was pretty scary. I always, I was looking back then, you know, you look for a job in the classified in the back of the newspaper and where I was moving, there was no industrial design jobs. It didn't exist. Oh, that's all Silicon Valley stuff. And so I thought about all these other things I could do, you know, I mean, uh, but the calls started to roll in slowly and it just, you know, slowly just started to come back. And, uh, but I had, you know, I tell people I had a lot of breaks. I had a lot of lucky breaks. And one of them was, um, I lived in California, which is the same, uh, state as the magazine. So back then it was all, you know, prime media, it was all, uh, Southern California, which was not that close, but it was still California. I had a lot more access to them than some business in the East Coast. And it just so happened that my ad rep, Brian Cox, was a Toyota guy. He knew I was a, to- I was a Toyota guy. And he was told by Cole Quinnell, who started the first ad- Ultimate Adventure, to invite some people to the first Ultimate Adventure. And Brian invited me and he kind of told me about what it was. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity to promote the business. I had just built my forerunner at that point. It still had, I think it still had white fenders and a, a black door because I rolled it and I had to get <laughs> reskin the door. But I went on that trip and I'm not, and in that trip, then you meet, you know, hopefully a lot of your listeners are, are, um, from, from the good old days. Uh, met John Kappa and uh, Christian Hazel and Rick Payway and and Cole Quinnell. Before that, I don't think they knew who I was, nor did they know what a power tank was. And so that really gave me a chance to, you know, be with them for a whole week during this whole adventure. And you get pretty close with people when you're trying to survive day after day, you know, on this ultimate adventure. And back then it was it was zero corporate. You know, it was just us wheeling and driving and then wheeling and driving. And and it was a lot of fun. But I think it really gave me a break. Uh, they, I think, got a little more interested in Power Tank. And um, they liked it. We, we got some product to them and they liked it. Um, so that was my first, probably one of my, one of my first big breaks. And another one was that my first dealer, my very, very first dealer was Pat Gramillion from Premier Power Welder. He probably had more clout of anybody outside the magazine industry, or, you know, in the industry. He probably had one of the biggest uh, businesses, which was the welder thing. And, um, 
And so he was my first dealer. And he then, I think, gave my brand a lot of clout. If Pat liked it, there's got to be something to it, I think. Yeah, that the club. Yeah, yeah. He was in the club, the club, right? Um, Who was in that club? Curry, Frank Curry. Okay. And uh, um, the guys out of – they were the farmers – Frank, uh, Joel Randall, Harold off, Harold off. And then also, um, John Wagner, mm-hmm. um, who was, uh, who competed with John Curry. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, that yeah, was that they, whole group. Yeah. The first guys in, in ARCA, I mean, some of the first guys in ARCA. So otherwise who would have taken the time to, to meet this, this Asian kid, uh, with this cockamamie idea for an air system in an industry that uh, that you know just was kind of out of his his realm and uh, and and so that again I mean I I had these lucky breaks along the way so yeah I mean without that I'd still be I'd probably be doing something else today. So when did you go from the silver tank? To starting to, uh, you know, paint and identify? Um, it was soon after that, probably in within the third or fourth year. Uh, the very first magazine feature article I got was Trent Riddle was with Sport Utility Magazine. And uh, he called me up and he said, hey, I'm going to be out in your area doing something. And I wanted to see if I can swing by because I think at that time I was maybe advertising in Sport Utility. And that was a great book. He asked if he can come by the factory, get a tour, do a uh, – and <laughs> – yeah, do a feature, an article on PowerTech, and I and I I didn't say anything. I just kind of chuckled and I said, "Yeah, I'll give you the tour. Come on by." I I didn't know what he was going to think when he came to my garage because I had a two car garage with this big, heavy, rickety plywood door that opened up, and that was my that was PowerTech. You know, I really didn't care. I mean, I said it. it it wasn't that big of a deal, right? Power tank. So he came by and he, it turned out he was really, really cool with it. He said, I started a business in a garage just like this. And he really, he really could, uh, um, sympathize with me, you know, the hardships and stuff and trying to start a business. And so he was really cool and he took some good photos. And I remember that's, I still had silver bottles because we, we, um, we went out and we did some tests and the, I still remember the, the, the photograph that was in that one page article and it was the silver bottles and that was still in San Jose. So that was within the first two years. So soon after that, I was, I went into the first colored bottle, which was the dark blue. And I still see the, those blue bottles I come still through. have mine from oh, really? 2001. Really? Yeah, it rides in the XJ. It's ridden in a lot of vehicles. Oh, that thing's probably it's been, been rehydrated a few times. It's been across the uh, – you know what? I have never had a problem filling those up, getting them – not like you do with propane tanks where they make you go through every so many years and do it. I've never had anybody ever say anything about them. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and you, you know, I got the two big yellow ones, and or Little Rich has one of them. But, you know, we uh, – yeah, I've never had anybody say that I needed testing. You know, these bottles are 
they're pretty bomb proof and you know we only use the ones that are from us makers and the valves are us made and they're they're pretty bomb in fact that's why we decided to give them uh, lifetime warranties. If you ever fail a test, we'll give you a brand new bottle. That's how confident we're, we are that you're going to pass the test over and over years from now, decades from now. You know, and we, we are into our second, uh, we're into our third decade in yep. business. Minor, and, minor 20. Uh, I would say the, the blue bottle is 20 years old. Yeah. At least, yeah. So when did the, uh, the expansion of the product line? I know that you, you moved from San Jose. Yep. And you moved so, up here, back up here to Lodi in the valley. Yeah, we got into a house in Elk Grove. Man, it was crazy. Uh, we had this little tiny house. I think it was like a under 1,200 square foot house in San Jose. And with that two-car garage where I had power tank. And uh, we, we decided to move to the valley. We were looking at these huge houses that, I mean, everybody had huge houses out here, right? Two, I mean, 2,700 square foot, 3,000 square foot homes, two story, and they were two thirds the cost of the house, of the price of the house we were going to sell in San Jose. So that's that's another reason I was able to start the business is that's where my funding, my initial funding came from was, all right, we sell the house, uh, we sell uh, an 1,100 square foot house, we we buy a 2,700 square foot house. And we still had um, a hundred grand in cash. Nice. <laughs> well, not cash because we hadn't had the other house per- fully fully purchased yet. Um, but we had cash, and uh, so um, I took that, and that's what I started the business with. And uh, and and you know, just crossed my fingers. I mean, every day crossed my fingers, and you know that to some degree, the crossing your fingers never ends. <laughs> you, 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 yeah, when you, you know, when oh, you have, yes, I know. yeah, your business can go in a, in an instant, um, some stupid little thing can happen or, uh, it doesn't take much to crumble down a business and, uh, and our business is still pretty small, uh, in, in, in relative terms. Um, so, you know, you always, you always have to play things certain ways, safe or less safe. You have to know where to take risk and not to take risk. It's good that you learned that lesson didn't affect where you're at now. And that was, you know, you, you have to keep advertising. There's so many businesses I hear um, that I talk to that say, oh yeah, we're, we're not going to do any advertising. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we got to cut costs. We're, we're, you know, we don't have as much money coming in because of, you know, the housing slowdown or whatever. Well, those companies that cut their advertising, cut their lifeblood. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And and if they don't if you don't have potential customers seeing you, you know, you're relying on word of mouth by, you know, Joe telling Steve, hey, you know, you need to buy power tank because, you know, I don't want you using all mine. There was a time when uh for a lot of years I was trying to figure out this whole advertising game. You know, okay, so so do we bump the ad size up? Do we go full color? Do we go into more magazines? What is the secret formula? And no one could tell me what the secret formula was because no one knew. Um, but we, we had, we, at least I knew that we had to or advertise, we had to keep the advertising going. Um, and, and part of it was probably the lesson I learned when we were in uh, our first, very first ad, when 
I shut it down for what, one month or two months and the faucet dried up. Um, and it was, and, and, and we were, we only had that one ad in, it was the biggest off-road magazine, but it was a tiny ad and, uh, yeah, it just stopped. And, um, and as we moved along, um, we did try different things. You know, the in the 800 phone number era, the, it was suggested that we have multiple 800 numbers and, and each magazine got a different 800 number. So you can kind of track what ads were bringing the calls in. Um, and that was pretty much all we could do. It was very unscientific. So, um, but we, we did it. You know, our relationships with, you know, the, the magazine guys, hey, uh, Kappa and, and Hazel and, and Riddle and Payway, um, helped a lot too. You know, they, they, they would do, I remember doing them doing a, a tire test or a shock test and they would actually change tires and shocks in the field on some slope or something. And they'd have, they'd make sure that the power tank was in the picture showing that they're using an impact wrench to do all the work. They didn't mention power tank, but just having it in the photo, uh, I think helped us. Absolutely. Yeah. The product, that product placement is important. It mm-hmm. really is. Mm-hmm. So as you, uh, you left San Jose, you moved up here you were elk grove, did you, elk grove. Mm-hmm. when did you move out to your dad's shop because uh, that's well the, okay that's so the place i remember okay so uh we moved to elk grove and we had a we moved into this house that had a three-car garage and uh and and uh there was a downstairs bedroom right by the garage door uh and so that was really cool i really like that I mean, you, you you always think, you know, would you ever want to start a business, never see anybody during the day like you did when you were working at the big corporation and you are talking, taking calls, taking orders, and you're doing the production all out of your house. And, uh, you know, it sounds kind of like prison and, and, uh, I didn't know how I was going to deal with it, but it turned out it was really cool. You just wake up and you run, you walk downstairs and you grab a coffee and you turn the computer on and you just start work. And I, I actually liked it a lot. Um, I did that out of my garage for two years and the homeowner association, um, didn't like that. I mean, you're not allowed to have a business. And there were a few of us, um, because I talked to the UPS driver, there were a few of us that had businesses running out of our garage. Eventually, my one of my neighbors, we had one of those Mrs. Kravitz neighbors that, <laughs> that narked on us to the HOA. And we were given that fine in the letter. And so we had to move out. So um, again, I mean, the business still wasn't big enough to afford rent in a, in a industrial spot. So I took a spot out of my, my dad's, on my dad's property in his, um, his business shop. And it was probably 800 square feet, I think. And, uh, I carved a little section out and I offered to pay them rent and, um, the, utility that I was using. Um, and I ran my phone lines into there and, um, 
that was my my new power tank uh you know for corporate office um it was a 10 by 10 office that i built inside his shop and um i made a little assembly area that was kind of a just a kind of a cube um you know i had i i really get into these efficiency studies where it's all about how fast i can build stuff and how efficiently i can build stuff and I had this cube where I could kind of almost reach everything, tape guns, boxes, product in, uh, you know, without taking more than maybe four steps. And that's then how I ran the business. That was kind of the next phase was you you get into work, you you start to, you check your messages, you start to take the phone calls and you start to process orders. And at that time, my order invoice was uh, just something I made on Excel. You try to get as many orders. Well, back then there were that, not that many. So you get them done in time to get them on the UPS truck. Cause you know, that UPS, he honks every time he, before he backs up and, and you got to be there with your boxes and your labels done. And then back then all we used was one uh, shipper, which was UPS. And as soon as he's gone, then you start building product for the next day. And again, I mean, I, I, I had to keep the number of products down to like, I don't know, a handful, maybe a, maybe five or six part numbers. So then I started, that was the first of expanding the product line. What was it? I think it was still one color bottle, but I think there were different, I think there were three sizes then. You know, and then be- in, in between that, you're you're running to vendors to get parts welded, and you're picking up parts at the benders, and you're you're receiving bottles, and you're receiving all these things from different suppliers, and and uh, it it's really you know it, it keeps you busy, and um, and then I hired my first employee there, and uh, it was a, a kid that I still still know. He's not a kid anymore, but sharp kid, um, Adam. And, uh, he helped me kind of build the business a little more cause he was my first assembler. And, uh, you know, and let's see, I was there at that location, which was, you, as you remember, it was, it was surrounded by orchards. It was, uh, back then it might've been cherries or I don't know what it was, but cause the different crops were around and it was just surrounded by acreage of, of, uh, agriculture. But eventually I needed more space. So I then then rented my first 2,000 square foot industrial spot in Lodi. And I got, and I, you know, I, I bought my first pallet racks. Uh, you know, you have your own off, uh, office and, and bathroom and, and you start to, you're getting serious now. <laughs> you know? And I had my first uh, real manager. He really was good. Bob was really good at running the business. And uh, in some ways he knew how to run the business in, in a lot of the aspects of the business better than I did. Very sharp on, on you know, the accounting side and, and um, setting rules and things. Well, I can tell you that I know for a fact that's important. Yeah. You got to have somebody you can trust and uh, somebody that um, kind of has your best interests at heart because uh, then you can trust them. Correct. And and I could. And so that helped me a lot. And he was with me for a lot of years. 
And then we needed more space again. So from that 2,000 square foot place, we got into a 4,000 square foot place, you know, and it's, you know, 4,000 square feet. That's still pretty tiny. And that's what we're in now. Along the way, I had, I was working with, um, you kind of learn that your, your, your skills, your skills in certain areas of a business as it starts to grow are tapped. And my, a lot of my skills in business were tapped a long time ago. And so fortunately I had friends that were, uh, that were much smarter than me than, and say like logistics and, and, uh, software and, um, things like that and accounting. And I got them to consult for me and, you know, then just, just taught me a lot more to, to, to try to get it to the next level. Um, and I remember we would, I was with one of these guys, uh, my buddy Ron, um, super sharp guy on um, on just operations of a business, and we would uh, you know we'd we'd pop a beer at the end of the day, and we'd look around the the warehouse, and we'd we kind of estimate what we thought we could output as far as revenue out of the space we were in, and we'd throw out these numbers. We are actually outputting double the numbers we thought we could. I don't know how we were so far off, but you do what you have to do and you you squeeze things into spaces that you swear are too small for that, you know, for that that palette or whatever. And you you try to improve your production as much as you can. And those all those little things help, you know. And then you tell Steve, the, 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 the idiot that keeps designing too many products, so you got to slow down and <laughs> you, we can't bring that one out yet. And we need, in fact, uh, cut back on some of the part numbers to simplify things. And so, um, you know, there, there again, um, yeah, sometimes you need some outside voices to come in and say, Hey, you're, 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 you're going off track here. And uh, otherwise, you won't see you're going off track. You know. I yeah, know. I think all small small businesses have gone through those phases. I know I have with the events, and luckily, uh, you know, meeting Shelley and her being a CPA and chief financial officer and all accountant type thing. You know, she she was really good at. At going, no, you don't need to do this. No, you don't need to do that. Right. You're going to start over with this. And I mean, we clean the slate after two. They have such a clear picture. Yeah, she because uh, she had no conceivable idea of what what I was doing anyway. Yeah. You know, and she couldn't understand why somebody, you know, a company would go, here's some money. Go ahead and put your event on. She mm-hmm. didn't understand how that would work, you know, until she got out there and started doing it. And then she was like, oh, okay. Now we're not going to let you discount it anymore because <laughs> right. I would go from month to month and you, go. I got to find you know I got to find another five grand. Who am I going to get that from? You know I got to I got to you know pay these bills or I'm out of business. And so you know I would call somebody up and go, hey, you know this is our normal package. I'll do it for half that. You know, uh-huh. and she just went, nope, no more. Well, see that's that's uh, that's where my son Tyler came in. He said, you you don't have to do that. Um, you're you're giving away too much. When you sit, I guess, in your chair, in my chair, um, it's easier to do that. And you don't see, if you're not seeing the the big numbers picture as clear as, you know, Shelly probably was, you don't see the effects. 
And uh, so, yeah, it's again, you know, it's good to have that that outside, more expert person to say, hey, this this we need to change this. Yeah, we went when she, the year she came on board um, as my partner. We truly, I mean, we didn't even have merchandise. We didn't even sell T-shirts or anything because we couldn't afford them. You know, mm -hmm. it was like before I was like, oh, I got to have this. And, you know, I just did whatever I had to do to make it, try to make it work. And then at the end of the year, it was like, okay, what do I do for the next five months till the next event comes? <laughs> yeah, right. And, okay, we got to make our season longer <sighs> right. so that I can keep going, you know. Yeah, That's yeah. Kind of the things that I got into and she it's changed all that. It's so. easy to get stuck with what's right in front of you. And it's easy to, you know, that's, that's like when I get my, my desk starts to get cluttered. I, I, sometimes I have to step back and clean the desk up. And then I, it kind of clears out my, my future, my, my glasses so I can see further into the future. Um, yeah. And you have to, I don't know, for me, I have to kind of force myself to do that. You know, it's, it's, it's good and you got to clean up clean up the the desk once in a while so your son has come on board he's uh he's the one that had you uh eliminate a lot of those those skews and parts yep yep and and uh he just he kind of cleared he got us back on he kind of tightened the wheels of the train i mean we were going down the track and but but the wheels were kind of loose and he tightened the wheels up and um, one of the things that he noticed was that when you kind of imagine this loose wheel, it's like those are the mistakes. Those are the little – the thousand little mistakes that can kill you. You know, customer calls or, or ten customers call and each one has a little uh, mistake in their order. And um, so so you you don't think about it, but all those things cost money. And time and and by cleaning that up, you're you're more efficient. You're tightening the wheels up, and he he could see. I guess I didn't know how to tighten the wheels up. He saw how we needed to do that, and he said, "We need a we need a an inventory software. We need to get a better handle on the product, the the money, the product, um, and how where it's going, how it's being packed." Um, how it's being controlled when it gets into a box, that kind of stuff. When in you know bigger businesses, that's that's business one on one for them. But for us, it's it, that's we're we're still having to learn that. And um, not only that, it's like, well, how do you afford to do that? That that stuff is that kind of software is really expensive. So he did all the research and and got that functioning. And it's it was there again. That's that's a good example of where. Uh, that was way above my head. That that software stuff, the the computer stuff. But that's the stuff that he's good at. So that was a, that was one of the big steps that he made here to really get us smooth out the ride. And you know, whenever your your ride's smoother, you're you're running much more efficiently. And uh, and then on the advertising side too, um, he. He's got the time now to do the photography correctly and to do the instruction, write the instructions. He's a good writer. And so, um, and his major was communication. And, um, you know, that's what marketing is, is just communication. How do you communicate? I knew the product, 
but it doesn't mean you can sell the product. You have to communicate to the customer what it is, what it does, why they need it. I thought I was good at it, but I wasn't. I, I, I need way too many words. And that's what it was, it was always wrong with my ads was it was full of words. And everybody used to tell me that. And I, and I, I don't know if you know Danny Adair, but mm-hmm. he was one of the first pers- people to tell me that he goes, you just, you, you're, you got too many words in here. He goes, I can't fit it on the, in the ad. And he helped me to, to just clarify what the message should be. And all it took was this to, to send the message. And I had it, it took me a long time to, to get used to that. I knew he was right. I guess when they say engineers should never be the ad guy, that's, that's <laughs> why, you know, um, so true. You know, we all have, we all have our skill set. Um, you know, it, I look at, especially our industry, well, because I've been in it for so long, but, you know, we're, we've always said that our industry is probably 10 or 15 years behind most industries. And mm. that even though we look at, you know, how great and how big our industry is, it's tiny compared to most. Yeah. And the smaller homemade mom and pop type businesses like yours and mine and and all these fabricators out there and guys that have their own shops, you know, they're, they're trying to wear all the hats, mm-hmm. you know, and then, but then you get the companies that have all the layers and you have, you know, an engineer, you have a salesperson, you have somebody that's, uh, that, that, you know, is shipping or whatever, right? or like in the magazine industry, you have the content creators, you have the ad sales, and then all those Magazines in the past were all bought up, you know, by, you know, investment firms. And mm-hmm, all of a sudden they got mm-hmm. all these layers above the content creators. Yeah, yeah. And that hurts a company just as well. Yeah. You know, so there's a, that fine line between, you know, too big, even if you're small, mm-hmm. you know, you get too big, you can't keep up. Yeah. You know, and you're, you're afraid to... to a lot of companies are afraid to invest in keeping up. Yep. So you you scale back or you stay there or you throw your hands up. Yeah, that's I think that's a that's a pretty common conversation that you know any all business people have especially small business because we're all trying to help each other. We're all trying to learn from each other and well, you know, you talk about um you look at the companies that that just grew overnight and, and, and became something huge. And then you look at your own business and you wonder, well, isn't that what I should do? Or is that what I should do? Or what are the pros and cons of, of not doing that? And one of the things that my buddy Ron told me was he explained what a, um, a lifestyle business was. And he said, that's what you have. And this is what it means. And because I always thought my goal was to sell to Home Depot or to sell to with my construction line, because it, again, you know, the off-road business or industry is small compared to the construction market. And we had a line of product for construction and he kind of pulled the reins on me and he said, are you sure you want to do this? Because here's, let me, he, you know, let me illustrate what you are becoming and what your business becomes if you go down that route. Um, and he's saying, I'm not saying that you don't do that. He's saying, here's, he goes, he knew that I didn't understand what that meant selling to big 
WD distributors and to Home Depots and Lowe's and becoming that kind of business. We So once he explained that to me and he, and he kind of showed me the advantages of staying kind of where we're at, you know, growing a little by at a time. Um, and, and as long as we're happy and we're doing well for the employees, then there's, there's something to that. The thing that mattered to me, I guess, was I want to be able to, uh, design product and get it out fast. And I, 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 the, the bigger the business, the harder it was going to be to do that. It was, we also wanted to make sure that the business didn't grow so fast that it got, it got out of my control. And if it did, then, then it could just kill us. What was going to happen to our product support and customer service? You know, would I have to just rent the next building so that I could hire a bunch of, uh, you know, a bank of customer service people? And how do you train that, that, that person or, or those people and, you know, that then didn't appeal to me. That kind of business didn't appeal to me. You know, it's, it's super important to, to make sure that we, we maintain the, the, the level of quality that we have on our product and that we take care of the customer like, like the old days, essentially. I mean, that's kind of how I think it, it, it's going now. It's like more and more you, you call to get customer service on something and it's, it's either, you don't get a, you can't do it because they don't have a phone line. You can only fill out a uh, uh, an email, or it's just return it to Amazon, or uh, you know. Um, and if it's a technical product, it's um, it's difficult to get that technical knowledge from from the company. And and so I guess we're kind of old school still, but not. Everybody in our industry appreciates that, meaning the enthusiasts, the people out mm-hmm. there that are, are mostly buying your product, the, the guys that are now buying JKs or have, have bought JKs or JLs and they're modifying the rigs and they're going out, um, or the guys in the pickup trucks, that kind of thing, that are, that are using their vehicles and where they have to air down, air up, have air tools with them. A lot of those people are, are, are more to that Wall Street, you know, I'm going to buy through Amazon. Mm-hmm, or I'm going to mm-hmm. buy, you know, through trans or somebody mm-hmm. like that, that doesn't have, there is no customer service. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a guy that's going to sell it to you. And then you got to try to get that same guy to help you when something goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Where if they call a main street company instead of a wall street company like yours, or a lot of our people that are in our industry that haven't gone, you know, to that create, to where they can make enough products so the WDs are happy. Mm-hmm. You know, you cut your margin, you you increase the 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 quantity that you sell, not the quality. Yeah. You know, you lose that customer, that touch with the customer. Um, you know, that's that's why I'm in this business is, you know, or in this off-road industry is because of the customer, because of our teams, our spectators, which are, you know, your your customers. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. those relationships to me are important. You yeah. Know, if I was working for a WD, it wouldn't, you know, those relationships don't mean anything. It's when that phone rings the next time. Yeah. You know, and I start to wonder what's happening with the WDs. Is that, you know, what is the future for WDs? And, and, um, is it, uh, I don't know. Um, 
you know, business business is changing fast. You know, Amazon's really changing things, and we we do sell through through Amazon, um, but um, we still take care of those Amazon customers. We, you know, we technically, if they bought it through Amazon, they're an Amazon customer, and we are Amazon's customer um, too. I mean, so, but we we know that that's frustrating for a customer, and uh, and so. We just take care of the stuff. I mean, it's it's easier. In fact, it's, in the end, it's easier for us to just do it that way. We're lucky that we can, you know, we can afford to do that. We, you have to start to look at things, um, uh, you know, versus you know time. It's it's what's the cost versus time. What's the cost versus bad press. What's the cost versus that kind of stuff. And to us, it's just. This is if a if a customer is complaining about one of our products, and usually we don't get a whole lot of that. But when we do, and it and it turns out they bought this the stuff through Amazon, we'll we we don't like to tell them, hey, you have to go through Amazon. It's it's what is it? What do you need? Let's let's get it taken care of. It's a it's a it's a uh, it's not it's not a postage stamp. It's a it's a UPS label that we pay for <laughs> plus the product. But it's out of our hair, and that customer's taken care of, and we move on. And we—it's all about just moving forward. Just con- those things are—they stop you. Those things you—you—and hopefully—and if you—and if you fight with the customer, you're going backwards, and you're losing ground. So to us, it's just take care of it quick. Take care of that issue as quick as you can, because then it allows us to put it aside, and move forward, keep moving forward. And in the end, I mean, that's good. That's better for the customer. So with talking about moving forward, where where do you see Power Tank in 10 years? Do you do you have an idea? Do you have a game plan? Is there, that's, uh, man. Is there products on the, on the, online <laughs> or, you know, what's the newest, greatest widget? That's probably as tough a question as it was 10 years ago. Probably more so because I'm 59 now. And I'm not going to be there You're here still a at young 69. Kid. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, we're in the we're the same age. Pretty close. And and um, hopefully, um, I'm not driving the Dodge with the trailer to Moab. In in you know, ten years from now, I don't know. You know, ten. God, I don't even know. I don't really have a, a super clear picture of what Power Tank is in in five years. I I. I think it's, it's a, you know, it's gotten to uh, a point where the category, the product category is strong enough where it'll live on and it's got enough momentum where, where that's not the issue. And the brand has a lot of momentum. Um, so if it's not me, that's, that's running it. It's um, it, whoever's running it, um, the product and the pro the, as long as it, you know, nothing drastic happens or, something stupid happens, um, the momentum will keep the brand and the product going. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's been a long run. Shoot. 1997 was the first June, 1997 was when my first ad came out in four wheel and off road. So I consider that the first, the start of the pro the, the, the business it's, it's been pretty, it's been pretty fun, pretty interesting, you know? Got to do it. 
how can you complain when, you know, you look outside and you got your, your first forerunner that you ever, you know, you started the business with and it's nice and clean and shiny and you got, um, and you're no still wheeling it. You've painted it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Five times, man. Uh, twice by me. Um, good job. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 uh, and yeah, so that tells you something too. So uh, by the third paint job, I had enough money where I could pay somebody else to to paint it. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's a you know there's a you know there's a truck out out there and a, and a, a new JL um, that you can wheel and 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 uh, and you get invited to um, events and um, and you hang out with guys like you and other guys you, that we both know uh, for, we've known for years. Uh, we only see each other, shoot, some, for me, sometimes once a year. They're good times, you know. See them at Pomona. See them at Moab. Um, and do do something you like to do. Wheel out in the wilderness. Do you or, still get a chance to wheel? Yeah. You know, it's um, – I was just out at uh, on doing the Ford Ice um, with, uh, with the Rockstar guys. And, um, and if you, yeah, that's a, that's actually on YouTube now. Um, Excellent. And that was a great trip. We actually did that through the rain. Even the events, like, um, we're going to start doing whenever every, anything opens, everything opens, we're going to start doing the overland events and, uh, that'll be kind of a new market for us. So, you know, again, when you're running a business, when you do the same thing over and over, it, it can get boring. Uh, well, for a product designer especially, so getting into a new market is is more excitement, you know, for me, uh, for everybody. I think you know you learn about a different group of people, a whole new market, and their needs, and and typically you're adjusting the product or you're actually creating new product for the new market, things that you never needed for a rock crawler, but. You know these overlanders. They need they're they're wheeling. They're off road in a different way. Figure out how to how to power their showers. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I already know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was I was I saw that big old black tube water thing that they have, and you know, and they pressurize that with compressed air so that they get some water pressure, and you know. Um, but they air their tires down. I mean, the guys that are really going off road, and and they want and those that are just sitting in the campgrounds, you're going to have to make sure you get the the patches. Yeah, we you know, yeah so put them on their uh, ceilings. Uh, yeah, we did. We Heck we yeah. we do have power tank patches with Velcro on the back now. Excellent. Um, so yeah, we're learning. We're learning the off road market. You know, we're learning and and um, and so that's what I that's what kind of got me thinking about my dad's old Ford four by four with the camper shell on it. I mean, he built there our house um, that my mom still lives in. Uh, so he was pretty handy, and he was uh, he's a uh, refrigeration mechanic. So um, he built uh, all the benches. I remember the plywood benches and the storage cabinets inside the camper. You know, back then, um, no seat belts. And we had a pass-through rear window uh, that was uh, kind of sealed off with this vinyl boot. boot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we were, as little kids, we would uh, go, we'd get passed back and forth between the cab and the camper at, you know, whenever we wanted to while we were driving on the freeway. <laughs> 
With no seatbelt. Uh, no seatbelt. No, no. Uh, and he would go down trails and find spots to camp and, uh, and we'd fish in the stream and we would, you know, back then I think we were even, uh, I don't even know if we took water. We just probably got water out of the stream. Um, no filters or anything. That's another subject I, I, I don't want to get into, which is uh, why everybody, all the kids nowadays get sick because they, they're never exposed to any germs. Correct. We, it's hard to do that in the basement. You're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, I'm showing my age. <laughs> <laughs> so we, um, and he had a, I remember he had a, a 22 handgun. So we, we'd shoot can, we, all the stuff we like to do now, you know? And so that's, that's where I, I got it from. And, uh, that was, yeah, we were overlanding. That's awesome. So is there anything that, that we haven't touched on in this interview that, that you'd like to share? Is there, uh, you know, um, any, I, I know just looking at your, your tank selection, the colors, mm-hmm. the new green tank that you have, the limited run, I guess, mm-hmm. um, is gorgeous. So if anybody out there is looking for like a safety green lime. Oh, when this comes out, it may be gone. Yeah, probably will be. <laughs> because um, it's uh, As limited. soon as people see it, it's yeah, they're yeah. going to be hounding for it. But we'll have we'll be on to the next uh, limited edition color. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. So, everybody, you know, if you if you need your air up tires, if you need to air down, air up, anything that you you need product-wise for air delivery tools. air air tools, you know, look at Power Tank. Power Tank's a great company. It's it's Main Street. Um, you know, Steve is a great guy. The people that work for him are are excellent. Customer service outstanding. He has helped out and been in the industry for so long. We were talking about the hoods and panels that he's got out here in the shop from Jeff Mello and Jody Everding and Dustin Webster and and Waylon uh, Campbell. You know, and then the pictures that are up here with Matt Peterson and Jesse Combs and. Oh my God! You even got Greg Mulkey's Jeep up there, yeah, right? You know, <laughs> signed, Johnson. signed. I mean, how long ago was that, Nicole? Nicole, if you hear this, yeah, you know, you're. I know that you're not in off road anymore, but Steve's got you on the wall, you know. And you just look around, you know, and there's the Campbell clan and and Overlanders and well, that's a cool picture right there. But you know, it's uh, it's a great place, great company, and uh, people. You need to you need to. Need to purchase an air tank. That's all there is to it. <laughs> I mean, I bought, I got some product while I was here, and uh, you know, it's it's great stuff. Wouldn't leave home without it. That's yeah, that's uh, appreciated. Um, yeah, business is doing well, and uh, uh, I think we were one of the lucky ones through this uh, COVID thing too. I mean, people were just ordering like crazy. I think they were staring at their jeeps. They couldn't do anything, but build stuff and I, I they can't explain it any other way they were just man they were ordering off off the hook um so yeah we we've been busy that's excellent well steve thank you for taking the time this evening thank you and, Rich. Uh, showing us around and giving us a shop tour that's fun and uh sitting down and talking with us for over an hour of your time and we appreciate it thank you hey you're welcome okay good luck in the future thanks If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating, share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram, and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded.
Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.